Aren't you glad he loves us tonight? He loves me, all right? Let's just lift the roof off tonight and just turn it loose. You don't have to worry about looking at the book. And the word should be big enough for anybody to see. All right, on the beginning now. All I sang did my Savior plead and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a does. Let's turn around and shake hands and fellowship. Welcome our visitors.
Aren't you glad tonight? He loves us. He loves us in spite of ourselves. He loved us even when we were unlovable. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that a great thought? Let's pray now and ask the Lord to bless the midweek service. Let's pray that his presence will be in here as we look into his word. Let's pray for the Awana next door. Let's pray God will bless there. They had a number of young children that have been saved or young people that have been saved over the past month or so. We rejoice in that. Let's remember the teenagers. They had 69 teenagers back there last Wednesday night. Let's pray the Lord to be with them tonight. Remember Aaron, he's in his faith clinic this week in Paducah, Kentucky. So he's been up there this week. He'll, if the schedule is normal, he'll probably be in the past the torch service tonight. So pray the Lord will really use that. It's a very, very moving time in a faith clinic. So be praying for Aaron and he'll finish out tomorrow evening by going out. So he's getting 16 weeks in three days. So let's remember him. He'll his mind will be fried when he gets home on Friday, but let's remember him. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to touch. Father, what a joy it is to be able to be here. And Lord, just to come and be reminded of your love. We realize tonight, according to scriptures and by experience, that we love you because you first loved us. So we thank you for your love. Thank you for the love you've shown toward it to us. And so we thank you. Bless the service now. Bless all the things that are going on. Pray for Awana, for all the children. For every worker, we pray for the teenagers. Uh, we pray for the leaders back there, the message that will be brought. And uh, we pray you'd be with Aaron tonight. Stir his heart about winning souls. And then, uh, Lord, whatever is going on, I just pray your heart, that you would bless our hearts and stir us in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me.
Sometimes you just don't know what happens, do you? Thank y'all. Y'all sit down. Appreciate it. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. As they do so, let me remind uh, our Golden Agers that we have the Golden Agers meeting in the morning at 11. So if you're a Golden Ager and want to come, be sure to be here. And then tomorrow night's our faith kickoff banquet. And remind everybody, it's casual. It's, it's, it's informal. So, uh, But tomorrow night, 630 at the Country Place on Shallowford Road. Let's pray everything you give now on Wednesday night. I remind you of it. Uh, goes to our Bible conference, and this is in, is such an important matter to our church, and it's been a key to so many blessings that uh, we have reaped as a family. And so I want you to give, and give every week, and it goes a long way. It may be just uh, 2 or $3 you put in every Wednesday night, but it adds up through the years and enables us to do so many things. So let's pray down and ask God to bless the offering. Bobby, if you would, lead us in prayer. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Amen. like tonight we, we sung a lot about love and, and the pastor mentioned the verse about how much the Lord loves us and isn't it wonderful that he loves us. He knows us and yet he loves us. And I think about even when I was a child many, many, many years ago, but how he loved me then and he allowed me to hear the gospel and to accept him as my Lord and Savior and he loved me and he still loves us and is leading and guiding us that we're under his wing because of his wonderful love.
the Lord for that. Amen. What a wonderful place to be. Look in 1 Kings chapter 19 tonight. 1 Kings 19. And we've been traveling around with Elijah now for a few weeks and we're going to jump on the bus with him again tonight and uh, head down to a place called Horeb. Would you stand please, Horeb? And we'll ride about, take about a 400 mile trip from where we were last week and learn a few things from the Word of God. Elijah, what a fascinating character he is. What an amazing man he was. But I think one of the most encouraging statements in all the Bibles, the statement that's made in the book of James about Elijah, that he was a man subject to like passions as we are. That one statement there tells me that Elijah, even though he was a great man, he was but a man. So I can relate to Elijah, and we all can relate to him because we find so much of ourselves in him. 1 Kings 19, let's begin reading in verse 8. This was our last verse in our last journey, but it helps us to understand where we're heading on our trip tonight. 1 Kings 19, verse 8. The Bible said, And he, Elijah, arose, and did eat and drink, 
And when in the strength of that meat, 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, God said, Go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shapheth, of Abel-Meholah, that's where we'll go next week or a couple of weeks, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, and all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's go to Horeb tonight with Elijah as we're on the road with Elijah. Let's pray. Our Father, tonight we thank you for this opportunity to, Lord, spend some time in the presence of a great man like Elijah. Our hearts have been blessed and our hearts have been stirred. We have been, as we have traveled with him, we have seen what you can do. We've seen your faithfulness. We have seen your ability to meet needs. We've seen your power in a marvelous way. But not only, Lord, have we seen you, but we've also seen the man in which you have done these things. We have seen him at his highest, and now we see him at his lowest. I ask you, Lord, that we might glean from the life of this great man, yea, but a man. And may we learn from him tonight that will help us to grow and to be all that we should be. We need, Lord, your help. Deal with our hearts tonight, just like we find you dealing with the heart of Elijah in this story. So we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. it is in Jesus' name we pray. And for his sake, we ask these things. Amen. In our travels with Elijah, we began by going down to a place called Kareth, Cherith the sun. Then after going to Kareth, we went to a place called Zarephath. And from Zarephath, we went to Carmel. And from Carmel, we went to Beersheba. Tonight we travel with Elijah down to a place called Horab. We put a map up on the screen so that you and your mind can know where we're traveling to tonight. 
You travel, usually have a map to get you there, so I want you to become familiar with where you are going. And you'll see the red arrow pointing toward Mount Sinai. That is where we are tonight, Horeb, Sinai. You see, Horeb is a general name for the whole mountain range, which Sinai was one of the summits. Many times in the Bible, when you find reference to Horeb, the Mount of God, it is actually referring to Mount Sinai. Many times in the Bible, it is an alternative name for Mount Sinai. This is the mountain that Moses received the, met with God and there uh, received the commandments from God. Our text talks about a cave. I found it interesting that many, many uh, Bible scholars believe that Elijah hid in the same cave that Moses was in when God met him and spoke to him and gave him the law of God. But you can see the picture there, and you see Beersheba at the top of the red arrow up there, and you see how we come down. It's about a 400-mile trip from where we were last week. Now, I find as I read here that the Bible tells us that Elijah made the journey from Beersheba, and he was about a day's journey in the wilderness there, down to Horab, the Mount of God, in about 40 days. He took about 40 days to, take, to cover this 400 miles. Now, I find, and many of you are students of the Bible, and some of you have great interest in numbers of the Bible, you'll find that the number 40 is a very common number in the Bible. And I do believe this, that numbers in the Bible have significance. Everything about the Bible has an order, and everything about the Word of God has significance, even the numbers. You'll find the number 40 associated with many characters in the Bible. You find it associated with Noah. You find it associated with Moses, even the Lord Jesus, and others. And you find several in the Bible. You'll find there is the number 40 associated with them. The number 40 in the Bible is a number that speaks of a time of testing or a time of probation. And when we come to uh, 1 Kings 19 and we find Elijah hiding in a cave, we see that it was a time of testing. It was a time that God met Elijah. And it's a time that God dealt with some things in Elijah's life. Now, in our last study, we saw how God dealt with some things in Elijah's life. He was a discouraged man. The angel of the Lord touched him and fed him and nourished him. There were some things that God dealt with in Elijah's life at that point. But now, 40 days later, there's some other things that God is wanting to deal with he dealt with some of them at Beersheba or in the wilderness. But now we find that there were some things that God continues to deal with in the life of Elijah. I don't know about you, but I am glad God deals with things in our life, aren't you? I think about somebody as reading this week, and I don't remember who it was, but they was talking about how God knows everything about us. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. And so he contests us and he confronts us and he meets us at a certain place and he deals with things in our life. The best way I know how to describe the passage before is, is God correcting some things in Elijah's life. He's already corrected some things in the wilderness. But now there's some things that he's dealing with down in here. Some things that Elijah's struggling with, some ideals, some attitudes and some problems in his life. And so God finds him hiding in a cave, and he begins to deal with these things in Elijah's life, and he corrects these things. I want to point out three things that he corrects in the life of Elijah here in our text. Jot them down. Follow me in the Scripture. The first thing that I see that God needed to correct in Elijah's life is his feelings. He needed his feelings corrected. Notice our text again, verse 9. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, and we see how God corrected Elijah's feelings. Verse 9, the Bible said, 
that he came thither unto a cave, that is Elijah, and he launched there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. That's a very familiar phrase in the life of Elijah. The word of God came to him. Now God's word comes to him again, and when God's word comes to him, here's what he's asked. What doest thou here, Elijah? You see, God confronts Elijah while he's hiding in a cave. He is seeking refuge in a cave, and when he comes to Elijah, he says to Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this cave? Why are you hiding out in this cave? Why aren't you in my work? What are you doing here? You see, Elijah was absent from the work of God. He'd been running from the threat of a woman and been away from God. He'd listened to God up to a certain point. Then he ran for his life. And now he's hiding in a cave and God confronts him and said, I want to know what you're doing here. Why are you here in a cave? Why are you not out on the battle lines? In fact, twice in our text, God asked Elijah what he was doing hiding in a cave. Now, what I want you to look at is the response that Elijah gave to God's question. And when you look at his response, you see the self-centeredness of Elijah at this time in his life. And when God says, what are you doing here? You find that Elijah's feelings surface and we hear his perspective on things. And there was his feelings and God wanted to correct them. Let me point them out to you. You notice, first of all, the perspective that was confessed. Again, God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you out here hiding in a cave? Why are you way down here? Why are you not up there serving me where I put you and where I place you? What are you doing in a cave? And no sooner does he ask Elijah what he's doing than Elijah unloads on him. Elijah just begins laying bare his soul. And Elijah begins to tell God how he feels. We read it a moment ago. Look at it again in verse 10. In verse 10, the Bible said, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. In essence, what Elijah is saying when he shares his feelings there in verse 10, as well as down in verse 14, Elijah is feeling that his work is in vain. He is feeling that everything he has done for God has been in vain, that everything he has done for God has been empty, that everything he's done for God has been fruitless, and everything he has done for God up to this point has been without effect. For in essence, what he said is in verse, four, verse 10 and verse 14 is, Lord, I have served you with every fiber of my being. I have been jealous of you. I have been devoted to you. I gave you everything at one point, and with every fiber of my being, I have tried to serve you. But he said, but what good is it done? He said, I have preached to your people, but your people have forsaken you. And they've even gone as far as to slay your own prophets. And he says, furthermore, he said, there's nobody left but me, and I'm a wanted man. They want to take my life. He said, I preached to them. They didn't listen to me, and, and they didn't listen to anything that I said or Anything that's gone on, he said, they didn't pay any attention to it. Now I'm the only one left. What good is it done? What good is it to do anymore? See, that's basically what Elijah is saying. It's obvious as you listen to Elijah that he's a man that is discouraged and he's a man that's disgruntled. He is a man that is bothered and he is a man that is bitter. 
And so his feelings surface. But it's very interesting that as you hear what he has to say, that Elijah, everything he's saying is from his own perspective. It is a purely selfish perspective on the part of Elijah. For in verse 10, you notice how he says, I have been. And then he repeats and says the latter part of verse 10, I, even I only. Now get it. Elijah's his feelings are surfacing, and as the feelings surface, we begin to see his perspective on things. And Elijah's only seeing, he's seeing no further than his own nose. He's seeing no further than himself. It's what I have done. It's how I have served you. It is how I uh, have been treated. It's what I am going through. It is I have been. I, even I. He's locked in on himself. He's locked in on the big I in his life. And he's only, only seeing things from a personal point of view. But I'm reminded tonight when I think about Elijah, I, I, I think about how he's not unlike many of us. A lot of times when we get discouraged, and a lot of times the reason we get discouraged, and a lot of times when we get disgruntled, and a lot of times the reason we get disgruntled is because we only begin to look at things from our perspective. And we only begin to see things from our own viewpoint. And we don't look at things from an eternal perspective. We look at things from our eye perspective. We begin to look at things from a selfish perspective. When we become eye-centered, and I think of myself and all of us through the years, we begin to look at things as, what happened to me? We begin to look at things like, I didn't get this, or I didn't get that. Or we begin to look at things and say, I'm not appreciated, or nobody loves or appreciates all that I do. Or we say such things as, I did my best, and the only reason things are not better is because of others. You see, what we do, we get locked in on ourselves, and we see things only from the I, me, mine point of view. Now, that's where Elijah was. And he was a discouraged man, and when he was discouraged, he only thought about himself. He's a disgruntled man, and all he thinks about is himself. Even I only. I, even I only. It was a perspective that he confessed. But notice the perspective that was changed. For you see, God wanted to change the way Elijah was looking at things. And I, I promise you one thing. Whenever we get to the point where we're living for ourselves and thinking only of ourselves and we're looking at everything and weighing everything from the perspective of ourselves, from our point of view, you can be certain God's going to begin to work in our heart to change our perspective. You notice as you move through the story that God began to change or he changed how Elijah felt and he changed his perspective on things. Down in verse 13... Once again, God asks the question, what doest thou here, Elijah? And again, Elijah shares his feelings. Look at verse 14. Basically the same as verse 10, but I read it for the context. And he said, I have been very jealous. There's the I again. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And then God responds to Elijah. He responded to him the first time. He responds to him the second time. And the reason apparently Elijah is a little bit slow getting the lesson that God is teaching him here. But in essence, God says to him, look, buddy boy, you need to see things from my perspective. 
You need to look at things from how I look at things and forget all about yourself. You need to look at things from my viewpoint. Notice verse 15, down through verse 18. The Bible said in verse 15, And the Lord said unto him, He said, I'm the only one. He said, I've served you. Nobody, it's not done any good. I'm the only one. God says, I want you to look at something. He said, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest to know Hazael to be king over Syria. Verse 16, Jehu, I want you to anoint to be king over Israel. Elisha, the son of Shapheth, I want you to anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael, that shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet, he says in verse 18, I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which I have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Here's what God says to Elijah. Elijah said, I'm the only one doing this. So Elijah said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go over to Hazael, and I want you to anoint him to be king over Syria. Once you anoint him to be king over Syria, I want you to go anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. And then once you get Jehu anointed, then I want you to find Elisha, and I want you to anoint Elisha to be prophet in your room, or the prophet that will take your place down the road. Now, you know your Bible, you know that God used Hazael to chastise the children of Israel, and then Jehu come behind Hazael, and God used Jehu to chastise the children of Israel, and then Elijah come and wiped the matter up and what was left. But he said, I want you to use, he said, I'm going to use Hazael to chastise my people, and those that get by from him, Jehu will take care of, and then if anybody gets by Jehu, then Elijah will take care of them. He'll finish them off. And furthermore, I want you to understand, son, you're not the only one serving me. I still got 7,000, for your information, that have not bowed the knee to Baal. I've still got 7,000 men that are serious about serving God as you have been. And there's 7,000 men that have not kissed him or bowed at his feet or honored him or recognized him. He said, you're not the only one. Now, here's what God was saying to Elijah. Elijah said, it's not done any good. I've served you with jealously. I have served you there five of my men, but what good did it do? Yet people are meaner than ever, and really there are people that ought to be judged. But you hadn't done anything about that. It didn't change their lives. And here I am, the only one left. I didn't do any good before, so it don't look like it's going to do any good now. And God says to Elijah, in effect, he said, I want you to understand something, Elijah. You may not think anything's happening, but I want you to understand something. I'm doing something, but I'm doing it my way, and I'm doing it in my time and according to my schedule. Now, you do what I tell you to do. I'll take care of my business. You just follow me. I'm taking care of it. I will keep my promises. I will fulfill my purposes. Elijah, I am on the throne, and I am doing my work. And what God is doing is he's getting Elijah to change the way he looks at things. He's been looking at things from his point of view right discouraged and disgruntled. But now God says to Elijah, look at things from my point of view. Now I want you to understand something. In life, you have got to live from an eternal point of view or you're going to be discouraged and defeated and disgruntled. You're going to be in and out, up and down, on and off, hot and cold, day in and day out. If you live from your own perspective, because a lot of times we look around and it doesn't seem like God is doing anything. But yet when we look toward heaven and we look from the eternal perspective, we are reminded that he neither slumbers nor sleeps, but he's always active. God never sits down and takes a vacation. 
Every fraction of a second of a second, God is active. And the eternal purposes of God are being fulfilled according to his will and according to his plan. And he's always at work. But what we do, we look around and we see, well, it didn't do this, and God didn't answer this prayer, and God don't, he's not doing anything. Nothing's ever happening. We get frustrated in our ministries. We get frustrated in our churches. We get frustrated in our classes. We get frustrated in this and don't feel like anything's going on because we look at it from our point of view. But we've got to look at things from God's point of view. And when we look at it from God's point of view, we get an altogether different perspective. If we are doing what he wants us to do and we are following God and honoring God, you can be certain that God is doing exactly what he wants to do. You believe that? Say amen. But he didn't feel that way, so God called him down there in the cave and he said, I want to change your feelings about things. You sitting around having your little old pity party, I want you to understand you're not the only dog in the pack. There are others out there that are serving me and being faithful to God. He had his feelings corrected. But I want you to look at something else. His feelings not only needed correcting, but his focus needed correcting. I think about after the first time Elijah expressed how he felt. The Bible tells us in verse chapter 19 that God brought him out of the cave. And he begins to work on his focus. Now let me show you what I mean when I talk about a focus. Think about Elijah, for one thing, his past focus. I want you to turn back a few chapters, chapter 17, verse 1. And I want you to look at a verse there. You find a statement in there that crops up in our passage tonight. Chapter 17, verse 1. The Bible said, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth... Now notice what Elijah said. Here's how he... This is, this is the focus of his life. It's revealed in this statement. Before whom I stand. Elijah suddenly burst on the scene. He comes riding out of nowhere, comes like a blazing fire into history. And when he marches out on the scene, he comes saying, I come before you, and I come by the living God before whom I stand. Now, here is a man now that admits that here's the focus, I stand before God. It's a phrase like Elijah saying to him, I want you to understand, son, when I stand here, I'm not standing here by myself. I'm standing here before my God. His whole focus is upon God. His thoughts are upon God. Everything about him is God-centered. He is faithful and he is fearless because he's before the Lord or his eyes are up on God. He says again, chapter 17, verse 1, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, his focus is on God's power. He calls him the Lord God, the Almighty One, the Elohim, the, the Jehovah, the Yahweh, the God that is unlimited in power. He comes and he says, I want you to understand, son, though as the Lord God, he's focused upon God's power. He's focused upon God's promises. Of Israel, he said. And Israel, the very mention of Israel, embraces every promise that God had made to his covenant people. He's focused on God's power, the Lord God. He's focused on God's promises, Israel. And he's focused upon God's presence as the Lord God of Israel liveth. He comes before Ahab, wicked Ahab. And so he comes before him, and it's, and it's very obvious that that, which he, that whom he has his eyes locked on is God himself. His focus is God. At Kareef, his focus is God. 
At Zarephath, his focus is God. Nowhere in Corinthia you find him talking about himself. Nowhere is Zarephath that you find him talking about himself. He's talking about God. When he gets on carnal, he says not one word about himself. His focus is upon God. He is a God-focused man. Up to after Carmel here, everything about Elijah's life, it just his focus is upon God. He sees God. He's looking at God. God is focused upon everything God is doing. But now, you not only see his past focus, but his present focus. Look at chapter 19 again and notice verse 3. Notice again how his focus has changed. This is from last week, our last trip. But 1 Kings 19, 3. But when he saw that, and I best... Uh, that is what he heard about what Jezebel wanted to do. In my mind, I see him going in the post office to pick up his mail, and he sees a wanted poster there on the wall. When he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba. Now, all along, all the way up to this point, he's been God-focused. As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. He's a God-focused man, and he's been God-focused until now. Instead of seeing God in what happens in chapter 19, he sees Jezebel, and he runs for his life. Now he begins to think about himself. He's not worried at Caritha about what's going to happen. He's got his eyes on God. It doesn't matter. God's taken care of. He's not worried about anything. Is there a path? His eyes are on God. He knows God will sustain him and take care of him. Same thing on Carmel. He stands up there and defies and looks eyeball to eyeball where they have an eyeball to eyeball. We have five or 400 worshipers of Baal. And he doesn't flinch a muscle. He's God focused, but now he sees that. He doesn't see God. He sees himself and that which is going on around him. And he begins to run. But you notice in verse 11 how God begins to correct his focus. Verse 11, God said to him, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And see there's the phrase again, Before the Lord. He started out before the Lord. He started out focused on God. Now he's been focused on himself. Now he's been focused upon his life. What's going to happen to his life? But now God's about to correct his focus. And in verse 11, God says to him, Go stand, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. God's going to bring him back face to face with himself. Where Elijah's no longer thinking about me and my and I. He's now going to be focused upon God. He's going to be looking at God and thinking about God. Verse 11, the Bible said, Behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But you see, he told him to stand before the Lord. There's a phrase again. He had started out before the Lord, but he got away from the Lord. Now he's brought back before God again. Now, verse 11, the latter part verse through verse 13, see God passing by teaching Elijah something about his focus. Look at verse 11. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Verse 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. 
And that's when God spoke to him. You know what Elijah's, what God is doing to Elijah here? Elijah has been a man that's seen some mighty things happen in his life. He has seen God use ravens to feed him. He has watched God take a widow, meet her need, in order to meet his need. He stood on Carmel and watched the fire. One thing. But the focus of your life is not to be upon what I do, but to be upon me. And to listen to me. God passed by in the wind. He wasn't in the wind. He passed by in the fire and he was not in the fire, but he was in a still, small voice. It's like Elijah, God was saying to Elijah, look, the thing that is so important in your life is for you to listen to me. Now, had that not been the key to Elijah's life in the beginning, now I don't put these verses on the screen, but let me turn them back just to, for example. Chapter 17, verse 1, the Bible said the word, chapter 17, verse 2, and the word of the Lord came unto him. He goes to Kareth because God, he's listened to God, and God's told him to do it. Chapter 17, verse 5, you find again, and the word of the Lord came unto him. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Again, he's responding according to God's word. Chapter 18, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Up to this point, he has seen all that God has done because he's listened to the small voice of God and followed God. But now he's got away from God and God comes through and says, hey, look, what I do is one thing. My demonstrations of power are one thing, but it's my voice that you need to listen to. In other words, he is correcting his focus. He's getting his eyes off himself and getting his eyes back on God. Now you listen to me. And I mean this, my, in my case or anybody else. You, don't, you won't know why we get discouraged. The bottom line is this, and we all do. There are times that we all get discouraged, but you think about it. And if you'll think about this, you'll agree with me. I don't care who you are, me or anybody else, the reason we get discouraged is when we get our eyes off God. That's the reason we get discouraged. Because what happens is this maybe is going on in our life and so we start looking at what's going on in our life and we get our eyes off the Lord. Or this is going on in our life and we start dwelling on that rather than dwelling on our God and we get discouraged, we get disgruntled and we end up defeated because we are looking at the wrong thing. We're to keep our eyes on God. And so God gets Elijah over there and he says, Look, buddy boy, I need you to realize something. I need you to see me and to listen to me. His focus needed corrected. But let me give a third and a final thing. I call this his future. His future needed correcting. Because let me, what I mean by future, here he is now. As far as the days ahead are concerned, Elijah's, he's giving it up. He's retired. He's thinking about uh, buying him a golf course somewhere and running a golf course. That's what he's doing. That, that's all in the Hebrew. You've got to get all that out. And so he's out there looking around for a place to put a golf course. So he's ready to give up the ministry. He's ready to get out of it. He says, it hadn't been worth it. He said, look what I've done. I'm the only one left. They want to kill me. They don't help. They don't do any good. So he's ready to call it quits. And his future, as far as God is concerned, has very little part of it. But God was about to change that. He changed how he felt. He changed where he was looking. But then he changed his future. Look at verse 15. This is interesting. And the Lord said unto him, now look at this, go return. You ought to put a big brackets around the two words, 
go, return. On thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And then he gives him the instructions about what he wants to do. But he doesn't say go, do. He says go, return. Now that to me is very interesting. Because it says two things that God was saying to Elijah. For one thing, he's telling Elijah, I want you to get back where you used to be. Go, return. Get back to where you used to be. I want you to backtrack now. I want you to get back where I, where you used to be with me. I want you to get back to where you move by the phrase, the word of the Lord comes. I want you to get back to the place where that you do what I tell you to do. And you're not listening to the voices around you, you're listening to my voice. And you're not living by signs, but you are living by me. And you're not living for the blessings, but you're living for the blesser. I want you to get back to where it used to be, where I am in charge. I am the one that directs your life. I am the one that tells you what to do. Get back to where it used to be. Second thing he's telling him to do when he said go return, not only get back to where it used to be, but get back to what you used to be doing. Remember what he was doing before all this happened? He's preaching. He's on Mount Carmel there, and he amazes the whole nation. And then he runs when his name gets put on a wanted poster. And he says, hey, nobody, everybody's turned away from you. He don't know what happened over at Carmel. The people over there, the last thing he heard was them up there shouting the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And now he is over here in the desert somewhere saying nobody wants to live for you. Hey, he's, he's, he don't know what's happened. He don't know how God has changed the hearts of people on Carmel. And God says, hey, look, you left me at Carmel. Now I want you to get back and get back to preaching, get back to serving me, get back to doing what you used to be doing. That's what he's telling him to do. Go return. Now we all get to those points in our lives that we get discouraged and we get disgruntled and we get defeated and, and disillusioned about matters. But I'll tell you one thing. This is a good thing. We're, that's, that's because we're humans. We're all human beings and we're all going to have those times in our life. Me, anybody else, anybody that tells you they don't get discouraged and whatever like that, first of all, they're a liar. Say amen right there. And we all go through them because we are human beings. And we're man's, we're just like Elijah was subject, the, we're the same passions we are subject to and, and, and uh, liable to. But the good thing about it is that when we get in these things, God finds us in our little caves of pity and God finds us in our caves of discouragement and God don't let us die in those caves. He loves us too much to leave us that way and he comes to where we are and he deals with those things in our life so that once again we can serve God and go out of this life in a whirlwind. So God knows how to meet needs in our life. Get back to where he used to be. That may be God's word for you tonight. Maybe some here that God's word to you would be go return. Get back to where you used to be. Get back to where I was the focus of your life. I was the main thing in your life. All that mattered to you was pleasing me. Get back to where you used to be. Get back to doing what you used to do. Get back in my work. Serve me. Live for me. Do what I called you to do. That may be the word to you tonight. Get your prayer sheet if you would please. Let's look at our prayer list tonight. We're going to come and pray. But before we come and pray, we want to give these prayer requests to you. Our missionary of the week is Roger and Kay Blevins serving with the Hispanics in the, in the states here through BIMI. We want to remember the Blevins tonight. Our church of the week, Mount Vernon Baptist Tunnel Hill, Brother Hugh Burdett, and we put him on there for a very special reason. Brother Hugh called me today. His mother has been on life support uh, since yesterday or the past couple of days. And Brother Hugh called this morning and, and uh, they had...
household, the family would call in all the family in, and their plans were to uh, disconnect it from life support at 1 o'clock this afternoon. So I haven't heard anything this afternoon. But we want to remember Brother Hugh and be praying for him and lifting him up. And uh, if, if, it's, if it's time for his mother to go on to be with the Lord, we want to remember all of that. But all of that was supposed to occur midday today. So let's remember Brother Hugh and pray for him. And then, of course, our prayer list for those in the hospital, Barbara Cole at Memorial Hospital and Edna Gravely at East Ridge. And you notice that David Burkhart's name's not on there. He got to go home yesterday. Isn't that amazing? And But let's continue to pray for David and remember him. So let's pray for these things. Let's all come and gather around the altar. Let's let God tonight talk to us through his word. Maybe God needs to correct how you feel about something. Or maybe God needs to correct your focus for your future. Won't you come tonight pray for our missionary of the week, pray for our church of the week, and pray that God will work His Word into your heart. All of you that will, let's come and just gather around the altar, take these things to the Lord.